This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Will you pray with me? Father, as we turn our hearts now to worshiping by hearing from your word, Lord, we ask that you will open our eyes to the power of your resurrection. And may that power change us today. And now, Lord, as I prepare to speak, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Danya started out her, her drama by saying, empty never seemed very good. And that sentence, which she gave me ahead of time, took me back to my days growing up. I grew up the oldest of four boys, and there was a lot empty in our house. Particularly, and I need a prop to help me tell this story, one of the things that was always empty was stuff that was in our refrigerator, like the jug of iced tea that we had. Now, this might look interesting to you, but the reason why I pull it out is every time I opened up my refrigerator as a kid... I found the jug of iced tea looking just like this, functionally empty. Why was it like this, you might ask? Well, there was a rule in my house. There was a line at the bottom of that pitcher of iced tea, and if you drank the cup that took it below the line, you got the opportunity to make the next batch. Which meant, and some of you parents might understand this, that the tea sat on the line all the time. The entirety of growing up would be opening the fridge, looking at it, and going, ain't no way I'm making that, because then my brother gets a nice tall glass of cold iced tea. So it sat, until my mom felt like we needed mercy, and she would make it. Whereupon, within an hour or two, it returned right to that line. It got stained, it was there so long. (laughs) Empty really wasn't about anything good. And I won't even get started about what the refrigerator looked like with four boys. All joking aside, as we get older, of course, empty and the negative aspects of it become far more painful, far more difficult, far more impactful. Because now empty is not about food or drink, but it's about bank accounts It's about relationships. It's about empty chairs. And so we come to Easter Sunday and empty is not really a good thing. We try to fill up our emptiness with all sorts of things and none of them really work. Money, job, relationships, sex, whatever it is. Lots of things we try and none really work. Empty is not really a good thing in our experience. And yet today, all over the world, the people of God will proclaim that empty is not bad, but it's in fact good. People all over the world who follow Jesus Christ will gather, they'll gather in ancient cathedrals, they'll gather in wonderful modern buildings like we sit in today, but they'll also gather under trees, and they'll gather in secret, 
And everywhere they'll proclaim that empty is good. And somehow that Jesus has flipped the whole thing around again. And that empty is not just good news, but it's great news. So this morning, as we look at the story of the resurrection, we want our eyes to be opened to how empty can be good. I'm going to be reading out of John chapter 20. If you want to follow with me, your Bibles are under your seats. We'll have it on the screen. And you also have my permission to take out your phones as long as you're on Scripture. John chapter 20. It's one of the four gospel accounts of the resurrection. And I'll start in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. I'll stop right there. Because something occurred to me this week that I hadn't thought of before. We normally want to hear all about the empty tomb on Easter Sunday, but it occurred to me this week that on her way to the tomb that morning in the dark as the sun was coming up, Mary would have had to pass by something else that was very empty. You see, the place where Jesus was crucified and the location of the tomb are today so close together that there's one church built on both of them, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Which means that Mary must have passed by that cross on her way to the tomb. The cross is the first thing that's empty on Easter. It probably was still standing because yesterday was the Sabbath and no one would have taken it down. It probably was still bloody, a gruesome reminder of the horror of Friday. And it was very much empty, the cross, for one simple reason, because Jesus was dead. And so before we get to the empty tomb, on the way to the tomb, we've got to pass by this empty cross and contemplate it for a a moment this morning. There's a reason that the cross is empty and Jesus is dead. It's because you and I have a problem that only Jesus could solve. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin are death. Now, sin is a very unpopular word today. In fact, I'm standing up here saying it thinking most of you, some of you might think I'm politically incorrect to even mention it. We don't talk about it that much. But if you're going to come to the story of Easter and realize and wrestle with what Christ did, it's got to start there. Because before Friday, before the cross is empty, before Jesus dies, God looked at you and said, guilty, guilty. Guilty of sin. And frankly, you've got no way out of the problem. But that's where we go past the cross. We go past the empty cross and we realize that God is offering us forgiveness. Forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus on that very cross. He emptied Himself so that you and I could be full. 
so that you and I could experience the forgiveness that he offers. And so today, instead of guilty by each one of your names, know if you have taken in faith Jesus is your Savior, written by your name, is forgiven. 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 Now I know there's many who would sit here and say, you don't know what I've done wrong. And if you did, you wouldn't be standing up there saying that God offers me forgiveness. It's a common objection to the story that, Jesus tell, that the Christians tell about Jesus on Easter. And my friends, it's a lie. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you have done. There is nothing you will do in the future that can separate you from the love and forgiveness that God offers through that empty cross. The Apostle Paul spent his life before he wrote books that we read now and think are full of the Spirit of God, and they are. Before he did that, he spent his life chasing down and murdering Christians. So if you wonder if God's forgiveness can reach to you, the answer is definitely yes. Romans 5.8 puts it this way, God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul, when he stops to think about this amazing fact of what Christ did for us, he writes it better than I could ever say in Romans 8. He says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Jesus, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Before we get to the empty tomb, we've got to pass by the empty cross and contemplate that Jesus emptied himself to offer us life, fullness, forgiveness through his sacrifice. So we're on our way to the tomb and we join with Mary now back at John chapter 20. I know I only did one verse so far. Mary goes to the tomb, and when she arrives, she finds that things are not in order. She expects it to be sealed and guarded, and she's going to pay her last respects. Instead, these next verses tell us that Mary finds the tomb empty, the stone rolled away. She thought... We find in other Gospels, not that Jesus had risen from the dead, but she thought, must have been some grave robbers. This is horrible. Where did they take the body? And so Mary does what we might have done. She goes and runs for help. John tells us she got the Apostle Peter and an unnamed disciple. And these two guys, I love the... the, kind of personal touch to the story here. These two guys decide to run to the tomb and check it out. Make sure that Mary's telling the truth here. And probably, as guys are wont to do, is there anything I can fix here? 
Maybe I can find the body. They do one more thing that guys tend to do, which I just love the personal touch of it. They turn this run, run to the tomb into a race. Who can get there first? And they get into the tomb, and the, and the Scripture tells us that the two of them look around, and they say, hmm, yeah, looks empty to me. Mary must be right. They must have taken the body. And then they go home. Here's where you're expecting to hear me talk about the empty tomb. About how the empty tomb is the most amazing fact in all of history. And about how the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And friends, I believe every word of that. But, (laughs) here's what the Bible actually says about that day. It's a new detail to the story. You ever get to a part of the Bible story where you say, Boy, I've read that a million times and I don't remember seeing that. Here it is. Verse 10. The disciples, after all they had just seen and realizing the tomb is empty, they go back to where they're staying, which in and of itself is a little odd. They find the tomb is empty and they just don't care. Back home. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw, this time, angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. So Mary decides to stick around. The disciples say, ah, the body's not here, let's go home. Mary says, I'm going to stick around and I'm going to look for Jesus. I'm going to peer down into that empty tomb one more time doesn't tell us what she was looking for. I don't know, hoping she saw the body this time? Hoping something was there to to help her figure out what was going on? I don't know what she was looking for. But what we find here is that she's in for a shock. Because the tomb is not actually empty. Oh, I know, we say the tomb is empty on Easter and we mean Jesus is risen. And he is. But... Technically speaking, Mary looks back in the tomb and there's two guys sitting in there. Where before, there was only a pile of grave clothes. The tomb isn't really empty. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw another man, but she did not realize who it was. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. And in the next verse, Jesus, because that's who it is, simply calls her name. Hey, Mary. And she recognizes him. And she has an encounter with not an empty tomb, but a risen Christ. That's who she sees in that tomb that day. And it changes everything for Mary. Her eyes are opened. Just like the guys on the road to Emmaus. They saw Jesus too. Talked to him and didn't know what was going on. But Mary takes one more look into that tomb. And this time, she meets Jesus. And so my friends, I offer to you this morning this thought. That it's not enough to know or to think or believe that the tomb is empty. You've come here before, perhaps on Sundays, 
in years past and heard this story about the tomb being empty. But Peter and the other disciple, they knew the tomb was empty that morning, and they went home and had another glass of wine. Well, it doesn't exactly say that, but I think that's what they would have done. They went home and had their Easter dinner, and their lives were not changed by knowing that the tomb was empty. It was just another mystery in a week-long, maybe years-long series of things they wondered about. It didn't make a difference in their lives until, guess when? When they met the risen Jesus. Days later in the upper room. And here's the point. It's more important to encounter the risen Christ. To come face to face with this Jesus who is still alive, who is very much risen. And to encounter Him as reality in your life than to just know that there's an empty tomb. Some of you will walk away this morning and you'll go have your dinner. And nothing you've heard here will really matter until maybe next year or a couple Sundays from now. But some will join with Mary and take another look into the tomb. Search for Jesus in your heart. Looking if he's real today. And for those of you who do that, your lives will be changed because you'll meet the risen Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, for those who meet him, it changes everything. Back in the late 1980s, some of you will date yourself so you don't have to put up your hands, but there was a guy with a funny name named the Bishop. Archbishop Desmond Tutu. You remember him? Yeah, some of you are old. Uh, he was asked by an American reporter about the political situation in South Africa. He, they, the political reporter said, this is a hopeless situation. What do you think about what's going to happen with all this unrest and violence? It's hopeless, isn't it? And Bishop Tutu, who who must have had an encounter with the risen Christ, says, oh, of course it's hopeless from a human point of view, and I love this sentence. But he says, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and therefore, I am a prisoner of hope. I love it. Because Jesus' resurrection changes everything. It changes the outlook on political situations in the world. It changes your reality in your personal life. My friend Rebecca wrote this past couple of weeks about how Easter is her favorite holiday of the year. And I thought, meaningful, okay. Favorite? I'm a little partial to the turkey on Thanksgiving, fireworks on Fourth of July, and the cookies and presents on Christmas. But you know why it's her favorite holiday? She wrote about that too. Because when she was in middle school, her brother and her father were on a missions trip in Mexico and a car accident unexpectedly took them both to heaven. And for her, she wrote, every year Easter is an annual reminder that we're prisoners of hope. That we have hope through this risen Jesus. That the tomb is not just empty, but it's empty because Jesus is alive. And that Jesus fills us with hope for a life that it can be full, 
for a life that can overcome all the obstacles that will come our way. And it fills us with hope that one day he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things has passed away. Every one of you is thinking about somebody, somebody who won't be there this Easter. But that's the whole point, isn't it? I walked out after the first service meeting a woman who, whose husband had died four days earlier. And we talked about how that's why Easter matters. Because the dead rise to life. Someday, it'll all be put right because the tomb is empty and because Jesus, Jesus is alive. So friends, I know that some of you come into this place and you find yourselves empty. You're at the end of your rope. And maybe you've been here before wondering if this Jesus is real or true, but somehow you left without really encountering Him. And others are here and things are going fine and this is just what you do every year at Easter. And you might head home and just have your dinner without meeting the resurrected Christ. And so for all of us today, I want to encourage you both right now and the rest of this weekend to take another look into that tomb. Stop with Mary and make sure you don't walk away like the disciples. Stare deeply. Look for Jesus. And let Him lead you into a whole new way of living your life. His terms are really simple and direct to get started on this. And this is really what Easter is all about. It does you absolutely no good to know that the tomb is empty and to not have it affect you. In fact, I thought, Either Easter is the biggest hoax ever invented and Paul says your faith is in vain or you're coming here to celebrate that you believe it. And if you believe it, it would be absolutely ridiculous to walk out of here and act like it didn't happen. Wouldn't it? If somebody came to life in our midst this morning who was dead when we walked in here, none of us would leave the same. You can bet on that. And that's exactly what we're proclaiming this morning. His terms are simple and direct. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by faith that we are put right with God and it is by our confession that we are saved. That's really what the story of Easter is all about. It demands a response. There's really no way you can believe that Jesus rose from the dead and walk out unchanged. And so, if you've never responded like this before, let today be the day. Easter Sunday of all days. You're here for a reason. It's not just because you decided to come this morning. It's because God wanted you here. And I ask you not to shrug on and move to Easter dinner. Look for Jesus. 
In just a moment, we're going to play a couple of, of songs and a video. And during that time, I'm going to ask the elders and the prayer team members to go over here where we've got some chairs set up. We do it every Sunday. But this Sunday particularly, if you have heard something that has moved you and you want to talk to somebody about it, they'll be over there. They'll also be over there if you say, I I don't even know if I buy this yet, but I need somebody to pray for me. Please, we'd count it an honor and a privilege to pray for you this morning. Don't walk away and miss the resurrected Jesus Christ. If you've already responded in the past to Jesus, today is a day to celebrate His resurrection, but also to contemplate what that means in your life moving forward. The amazing truth of the hope you have and how it should change you. How that fact that Jesus emptied Himself can give you life and life to full. And so perhaps you want to go over there and pray as well. Take another look into the tomb, my friends. Don't let it slip away this morning. And as we sing and join our praises with those that will be sung around the world today, it's all because, as it is written, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And that's the best news you're ever going to hear. And so look back into that tomb with Mary today and as you go along your Easter day. Let's praise and worship Him together today. And now because of all we've talked about today, the Scripture says that God has exalted Him to the highest place and given Him a name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee will someday bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord to the glory of God our Father. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter, everybody.